Because this morning we're going to be encouraged in how to receive and how to maintain hope. I mean, that's who we are. We are new hope, right? And, and I, I haven't changed the sign out front, just, not just because I'm lazy, but because it just seems to be a continued message that we need hope. I mean, every day, every time I turn on the news, I just see another reason why we are so desperately in need of the hope of Christ, right? Um, hope itself, so that we understand it, so that we get on the same page with everything this morning. Hope itself is, is a confident expectation, that is what hope is. It is a confident expectation that something good is coming your way. And so therefore, to hope is to, well, confidently expect, right? It's a confident expectation that good things are coming your way. Now, hope, it's, it, it's an intangible kind of thing. But for those who have it, you know you've got it. And when you feel it slipping away or when you have lost hope, you realize just how real it is and how much you need it in your life. Hope. Hope is like a placeholder. It, it fills the gap of your need. It fills the gap of your need until you receive that which you long for. Though hope is intended to be a positive and encouraging thing, it definitely has a dark side to it, right? Because we remember this truth, according to Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25, Paul writes and he teaches that hope that is seen is no hope at all. If I hope for a clicker and a remote, why would I be hoping for it? I have got it in my hand, right? I don't have to hope for something I have. He said, rather, who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And that's the dark side of hope. You have hope. Because you're lacking something in your life. You have hope because you are in desperate, dire need of something else. But hope is that placeholder. It fills that need until the fulfillment comes into your life. Hope can be a powerful thing. I mean, we've heard testimonies about what hope has enabled people to persevere through. Some of the darkest, grimmest seasons of life, people have been able to endure and to make it through and to watch it fade away into their past to a degree where you almost forget that you were in that season, right? We talked about that, that verse in Lamentations this morning. Um, you know, that, that individual, they had to remember those, those dark uh, seasons. And they also remembered the hope that they had that carried them through to it. Hope has enabled people to overcome impossible odds and to experience firsthand the miraculous hand of God. All because they had hope in Him, they were able to see His hand move and to see miracles take place. However, the interesting thing about hope is that though we possess it, we may not be handling it correctly. Because Hope that is misplaced, hope that is put in the wrong things, can actually lead us to the very places that hope was supposed to pull us out of. Anybody ever feel that pain? You put your hope in somebody, in something, and it lets you down? All those broken promises, all those expectations and dreams that just get crushed, all because we put our hope in the wrong place. Hope is intended to pull us out of those dark, grim places of heartbreak. But if we put our hope in the wrong things, it can actually take us into those places. And so we've got to be careful with that, right? And when that happens, 
when we put our hope in somebody or something and it lets us down and, and our life just seems to crumble and fall apart, it tempts us to give up on ever hoping again. Or it tempts us to lower our expectations, to kind of start expecting the worst to happen, right? Just because one person misused you and broke your heart and, and took advantage of you in a relationship, you have a tendency to kind of carry those same expectations into a relationship with the next person. And that's not fair to them, right? Because they haven't treated you that way and they haven't let you down in that way. But we have a tendency to, to sort of um, to, to change our expectations and, and to start actually hoping and expecting that bad things happen and come our way, Right? You know, we just, we lose trust in things. If a, if a car refuses to start one day, for the rest of your time owning that car, you're just waiting for that to happen again. You, you understand what I mean? We have a tendency to do that. And that's not what God wants us to do. That's not what we are created to do by any means, right? God challenges us not to give up on hope, but to transfer what our hope is put into. People will fail us. Jobs will fail us. Cars will fail us. Houses will fail us. We will even fail ourselves, won't we? We will have expectations of ourselves and we won't even live up to them. It's going to happen. Everything in this world is going to put us, let us down at some point. So why would we put our hope in the things of this world? Why would we even put hope in ourselves, right? We, we know ourselves if we're going to be honest this morning. Um, therefore, true and enduring hope it's not placed in anything of this world. It is placed in the person of God alone. That is the only hope that we can have that is enduring, that will not let us down, that will persevere through all of those seasons of life, is if we truly put our hope in the person of God alone. In fact, we can't even put our hope in the acts of God and what God is able to do. We can't even put our hopes in what God possesses and what he's able to give, right? Has anybody here ever hoped for God for their healing and sought after it and yet you're still sick? I'm still in that season and I still have fullness of hope that he is my healer. But if you put your hope that he's going to do something, and how often does God actually work the way we expect him to, when we expect him to, how we expect him to? From my experience, it's very rarely his thoughts are above my thoughts, and his ways are above my ways. I don't have him figured out yet. And I want to challenge you, if you think you got God figured out, and if he always works the way that you expect him to, you've created your own God. You might as well just carve a little wooden idol there and call it God, right? You know, because it always does what you want it to. No, very rarely does God ever do that. So we don't put our hope, even in what he's able to do, or what he possesses, and what, what he's able to give us. We put our hope in the person of God. We trust him. Otherwise, we're going to get let down. Our hope is going to get shaken. Our relationship with him is going to get damaged if we put our hope in anything other than into the person of who he is. Um, to have our hope in God is to also trust in his timing and in his wisdom and in his handling with us. Listen to just some of these scriptures about hope and what they encourage us to put our hope in. And these are just a handful. Um, Psalm 25.3, no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. Psalm 39, 7, but now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. In Psalm 42 and 43, over and over and over again, David says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my Lord. 
Psalm 130, verse 7, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him alone is the fullness of redemption. And we all know Isaiah 40, 31, right? You see it on t-shirts and on living room walls. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Who? Those who hope in the Lord. Again, over and over and over again, we we see this this calling to put our hope and our trust not in anything else but the person of God. And so this morning we're getting challenged to hope again. If you've been let down, and all of us have been, don't lower your expectations. Don't, Don't lower where you put your hope. Instead, just put your hope in the Lord, in the person of God. Because hopelessness... Once we give up on hope, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Jesus said, in this world, we're going to have what? Troubles. And if you're expecting trouble to come, you're going to get it. You're going to see it. Troubles are going to happen, right? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we just expect to see trouble everywhere and to get let down by everyone and everything in life, it's going to happen, right? You know, what, what's that country song that's, that's so popular now, you know? The, the, the one thing that never lets me down is that, that, that uh, long neck bottle, right? The only thing that's ever broke my heart, and I'm not going to sing for you this morning because, you know, maybe, maybe I will, you know. No, that's all right. <laughs> Some people feel that way, you know? There's very few things in this life that have ever let me down, you know? Some people feel that way, and, and in all honesty, they probably have every reason to feel that way because it's happened. And so we got to choose not to just give up on hope, but to hope in God. And we're going to talk about what that looks like and how we actually do that. Because without hope, we're never going to be able to move beyond hurt and disappointment and despair. You're never going to be able to move on from those things in life without hope. It's the only vehicle to get us from that point to the blessed, abundant life that Jesus has promised us. Hope gives us a healthy perspective in life, and it equips us to move through those troubling seasons into ones of abundance. Hope enables us to expect better things. I mean, we, we declared this morning from some of these throwback songs, you know, you're royalty. You should have some pretty high expectations of your God, right? Hope enables us to expect those things even in the middle of trials and tribulations that life throws our way. And and so uh, these are all great principles and concepts and it's biblically sound, but I was really challenged and really struggling with how to kind of communicate what that looks like in life. What does it really mean to have that kind of hope in God? That unwavering, unfailing hope that gives me joy indescribable in every season. What does it look like to have that kind of hope? And, and then, you know, through my time off, I had to sit in a chair a lot. I, you know, I, I tried not to, and then I started bleeding out like crazy. And the doctor's like, well, are you just, are you sitting? No, <laughs> I don't do that. But yeah, so I did a lot of time sitting. And, and, and God just, like, just how he always does. He showed me this. And this is what I believe it truly looks like to have hope. Um, it looks a lot like this. It's, it's my little puppy dog, Chewy, Right. At every meal, while I'm chowing down on my burger, you know, I mean, th- that dog is like the picture of hope. Look at that eagerness. His tail's wagging. He's just, he just, his eyes are fixed on me. They're not fixed, they're not fixed on the sandwich. They're fixed on me. He just fully expects that it's going to happen, and he didn't get any of that at all. Um, but, yeah, I know. <laughs> 
There's three things that my dog taught me about hope, and I'm going to share it with you all this morning. First of all, you'll notice that in that video, he brought me something, and he didn't bring me just anything. He brought me his very best. I mean, he, he, he plays with our socks all the time, and he brings in leaves from outside, and he plays with some gross things, you know, with me with all my snot and bloodiness, you know, they love, you know, finding my snot rags, I don't, dogs are nasty, cat drop anyways, but he could have brought me all these things, but when he came to me in hope, he brought me an offering, he laid at my feet his favorite toy, I mean, he won't go anywhere without that toy, you know? And if you touch it, he doesn't like it. That's his. That's his little baby. It's a little raccoon that he stole from Nate's room one day, you know? That, that's his toy. He brought to me his very best. He brought to me his very best. And there's something that, you know, I, it's nasty, it's gross, it's slobbery, you know? I don't like that thing. I don't want that thing. But yet, it blesses my heart and puts a smile on my face that he was willing to give that to me. He was willing to sacrifice that to me. You know, and we think about that in our relationship with God. Do we expect a lot from God and give very little? What do we give him? We show up at church if our schedule permits, if we feel like it. Do we not more often than not give God our leftovers? I mean, let's be honest. I'm guilty of it myself, you know. I don't give God my very best every day. You know, sometimes I, I come up with excuses and just give him what I want to give and not necessarily what he's called me to give. And we know Old Testament, you know, um, the offerings, they, they were prescribed, the sacrifices and the offerings, and they were huge and they were expensive and, um, and, and they were sacrifices, you know. But, you know, it just blessed my heart and it blesses God's heart. He doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't necessarily even want anything from us. But when we choose to offer up a sacrifice of our best, when we give to him our first fruits and not our leftovers, it blesses his heart. It does. The same way that, you know, it, it did with me, you know, with our, our, our little dog. It puts a smile on my face. Yes, we are blessed when we obey what God tells us to do. Malachi 3, if you don't steal from God and you bring into his storehouse your tithes and your offerings, you know, you're blessed. You're blessed for obeying. But how much more are you blessed when you do it with a right heart and a right attitude? Whenever we, we give God our very best with gladness, and we don't even count the cost, when we just joyously and, and, and generously offer ourselves to God, Whatever it is that we have, whatever it is that, that we're able to do. Because generosity has nothing to do with how much you give, financially or time or talents. It has nothing to do with how much you give. Generosity has everything to do with your motive and with your attitude in giving. Right? I love this. One day when Jesus was uh, walking by the temple, him and his disciples. His disciples were just kind of gawking and they're like, man, this place is awesome. Look at all those precious jewels that this was created within the gold, you know. You've read about the, the temple, right, in the Old Testament. You know what it looked like. I mean, they were just in awe of how, how beautiful this place was. And it was created by the generosity of God's people, you know, throughout the years. And while they're kind of gawking and, and admiring the building, Jesus turns their attention to this widow 
because everybody was at that time coming and they're giving their, their offerings into the temple treasury. And this widow gives a few small coins into the temple treasury. And Jesus commented that that woman just gave more than all the others. It had nothing to do with the amount because financially she gave very little compared to everybody else. But Jesus made this distinction. He said they gave extras from the abundance of their wealth, but she, in her poverty, gave everything she had. And that caught the attention of Jesus. Not the beauty of that building, not, not the, the huge amounts that all these generous donors were giving. What caught the attention of Jesus and what he made sure was recorded in his word for all time was this little widow that came and gave a few copper coins, a few mites. That blessed his heart because she was giving out of poverty, out of need, and she was giving generously. That blesses his heart. You know, again, just before the Last Supper, um, just before the Last Supper, a woman came to Jesus as he was at the home of Simon. She came and she broke and she poured out this alabaster jar that was full of this expensive perfume made with nard. She just emptied it out on Jesus. Those who were with him were upset. They were irate. They're like, what a waste. What are you thinking? And they started talking about all the good things that could have been done with that money. And Jesus shut them all up because they said it was worth a year's wages. And she just poured it out on Jesus. That perfume just emptied it out and that was it. That's all it was going to do. And he shut them up because she was preparing him for his burial. How do we respond when people give extravagantly? Are we offended at that? Or do we not even count the cost? How much do we value our relationship with God? I mean, honestly, question yourself. Question your heart. Think about it. What do I give to Jesus? What do I give? And how do I approach God? Do I have great expectations of him and offer to him very little? What am I willing to sacrifice? Do, do I still count the cost when it comes to giving to him? Or do I give recklessly and cheerfully? Well, when it comes to my little puppy dog, while you're waiting in hope, he encourages us to give your best. You may not have a lot to give by the view of the world, but whatever you have, offer it up to Jesus and see what he's able to do. I mean, if he's able to take two loaves of fish and a couple, or two loaves of fish, two loaves of bread and, you know, a couple of fish and feed thousands with it, think about it. What can God do if you offer up to him and you sacrifice to him whatever it is that you have? He is able, and that should give us hope. We don't sacrifice and count the cost, we sacrifice and count the hope that is within that. That placed in Jesus' hands, this is able to do so much more than it ever could have in my hands, right? While you are waiting in hope, offer your best to God. Next, while, while you're waiting, wait eagerly and patiently, right? That's, that's what my little puppy dog does. He just sits there and lays there. He doesn't yelp. He doesn't jump on me. He doesn't try to steal it out of my hand, even though I like to tempt him, as you can see here. He, he just waits eagerly and patiently. He just fully expects he's going to receive a bite of that thing, right? 
His hope is eager. <laughs> his tail's wagging, his eyes are fixed on me. And, you know, we, we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 24 to 25, that hope that is seen is no hope at all. Why, who would ever hope for something they already have? But if we wait for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And perhaps that is one of the greatest tests of hope. Time. Time is one of the greatest tests of hope. Because when we find ourselves in need, it's easy. to you, You've got a, a word from the scriptures, a promise of God to meet that need. You, you enter into worship and prayer, and you're like, Lord, I'm just going to thank you so much for this, you know, coming promise. You're so good. We, we come before God with boldness and confidence, you know, whenever we, we request that thing from God. However, when you're at this altar, week after week after week, and you've got that prophetic word, or you've got that promise found in his word, and your circumstances just are stubborn. They just will not get into line with what the word of God says. Man, does that put hope to the test. We start questioning ourselves, right? Well, maybe I screwed up. Maybe I don't deserve it. Maybe I missed that opportunity. You know, or maybe this just isn't for me. Maybe that's, that's just not God's will for me, Right? We need to be like David. And we read about this in Psalm chapter, you know, there's several times that he says this. When you start feeling that way, down and depressed and discouraged, and you just feel like giving up hope, be like David. He said, why? What's wrong with you, Steve? What, what are you thinking? What are you saying? Do you seriously hear yourself? Why are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed? Just put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He didn't feel like having hope. He felt hopeless. And he had to give himself this pep talk. He had to kind of like get outside of himself, get outside of his circumstances, and preach to himself, right? Sometimes we need to do that to ourselves. Like, what's wrong with you, man? You know? Stop being such an idiot. You know, I, I know you're in dangers of hell if you call yourself that, but I do often, you know, <laughs> forgive me. You know, what is wrong with you? Just, just, you got to hope in the Lord, right? Don't hope that that check's coming. Don't hope that, that's, you know, that something's going to happen to cause your circumstances to change. Put your hope in the Lord and praise him. We, we went through series after series on this, right? Put your hope in him and give him some praise for what's coming. Not what you're going through now, but for what is coming and what is ahead, right? Because no matter how long my meal may last... No matter how many meals happen without my dog ever receiving a morsel from me, he never ceases to go right there at my feet, offer his offering, and eagerly expect to receive it. That should be us with God. My dog never fails every mealtime to be sitting there with his tail wagon expecting to receive something. And let me tell you, more often than not, he does not receive anything from the table, right? But it never stops him from coming back to me and pursuing me. Why? Because he knows me. And he knows at some point I'm going to throw him something, right? I mean, he knows me. And if you know God, why would we not look like that every time we approach him? Just happy, joyful, eagerly, cheerfully waiting to receive from him. And even when we don't, we come back again eagerly, full of hope, expecting to receive good things from him, expecting every one of his promises to be yes and amen, right? So while we wait on God, we wait on him patiently and eagerly. Trust his timing. 
Trust that he knows what's best for you. Trust that he is not going to promise you something and then not fulfill it. He's not like us. But be patient and keep coming after him with eagerness. Every time you ask, ask like it's the first time. You know, that you've got no doubt. There's no, no doubt in your mind that you're going to receive that thing. Keep that kind of hope. Then thirdly here, we need to guard and defend hope. Because on the same subject of hope, getting put to the test of time, we must guard and defend our hearts and minds. While our dog is waiting in hope, you ought to see how that cute little puppy dog behaves when one of the other dogs or when the cat comes around and tries to get between me and him. He growls, he shows his teeth, he snarls, he nips. He will do whatever it takes to guard that relationship right there. Nothing will break his trust in me, you know, nothing. And if anything tries to, he gives them that warning that nothing gets between us, right? So when we are left in need and those thoughts start creeping in and other people start telling us things, like maybe you just need to accept this. Maybe this is just God's plan for you. This is just this is his will. You know, you just need to get used to this. This is how it's going to, we keep hearing about the new normal, right? I'm sorry, but I refuse to accept new normal. You know, I just, I just don't. I just don't want, this is not normal, <laughs> Or those questions start coming up of what if? What if God never answers your prayer? What if you're never healed? What if you're never delivered from this? What if that provision never comes? What's it going to look like in your life? How is it going to wreck your life? Right? When these things start to happen, we need to tell them to back off the way that my dog does. Right? We need to be like a dog in a bone with the promises of God and let nothing come near them to steal them from us. Hope and doubt cannot coexist. You can't. Just just like Yoda's teaching that there is no try. You either can or you cannot. You either do or you do not. There is no such thing as hope that is doubtful. It doesn't exist. They are polar extremes. They are mutually exclusive. We cannot expect to receive the promises of God and also doubt him. And doubt his promises at the same time. You just can't do it. It's not going to happen. I mean, in his grace and mercy, he may still do those things. But, but we shouldn't expect to receive those things. Now, my dog, he doesn't get food every time, right? Sometimes he hopes and he doesn't receive what he hopes for. However, he knows me well enough to maintain that hope through disappointment. Yes, he is upset whenever I stand up and throw my plate away and he gets nothing, right? He's upset, he's disappointed, he's discouraged. But that doesn't stop him from hoping again when the opportunity presents itself. He knows it's just a matter of time until his hopes are fulfilled. He comes to me without a shadow of doubt, and that's how we ought to approach God as well, right? Even through disappointment, we just shake it off, we, we, we silence the questioning, and we just put our trust in the Lord, when I don't fulfill his hopes, my little puppy dog Chewy, he doesn't turn on me in anger. He's never turned on me because of it. He doesn't run away from me and put his tail between his legs and hide forever like he did something wrong or I'm ashamed of him or something, you know. He, he, he doesn't stay distant from me, you know. As soon as I sit back down, he's right by my side again, you know, cuddling up. And, you know, he, look, he, he loves to do this thing where he puts his head backwards and looks at you. And it's just the cutest thing and he can't be mad at him for long, you know. His love is unconditional. Even if he doesn't receive what he hopes for when he expected to receive it. 
And that's how our love ought to look toward God, right? I've seen a lot of cute sayings about God's name being backwards dog, you know, because they, you know, there's so many similarities. But man, that's, that's how we ought to be in our relationship with God. Even if he doesn't, our love is unconditional. It's not based on performance and whether we receive what we want, when we want it, how we want it. We still keep our hopes up and we keep our love on and we just trust the person of God through relationship. Because it isn't exactly, it isn't precisely the unfulfillment of God's promises that cause us pain and heartache. That isn't exactly what causes us hurt and torment the way that we think. It's, it's not that disappointment and discouragement when we don't receive the promise of God. What actually kills us is not when that happens, but when we give up hope. Because you cannot receive from the Lord and yet still have hope that it's his plan to prosper you and not to harm you, to give a hope in a future, right? You can still have hope through dis- disappointment. What kills us and what destroys us is when we give up hope. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And in, I like how the Good News translation puts it, when hope is crushed, the heart is crushed, but when a wish come true fills you with joy... What destroys us in life is not the disappointment of not receiving what you expected. What kills us is when we give up hope. As long as you have hope, you're going to be okay. You're going to make it through it. You're not going to be crushed and destroyed. But the moment you give up hope, well, there's nothing to fill that place anymore, and you get crushed. If we look at hope as that placeholder of the fulfillment of a promise— once that void is gone, then, then all kinds of nasty things are going to come and take the place of that. Hurt and pain and despair and discouragement and depression, those are going to fill the place that hope was intended to be. So don't give up hope. That's what we need to guard ourselves from. That's what we need to defend our hearts and our minds from. We need, we need to defend hope at all costs, and hang on to it no matter what. Because it's when hope disappears that life isn't going to go so well for us, right? We've got to hang on to that hope. We're well aware that we have an enemy, right? Have you guys ever heard about that in the Christian faith? We have an enemy? Anybody ever hear that one? Right? Yeah! We've got an enemy, Right? We have an enemy. It's the devil, Satan himself, and a third of the angels, the demons, right? To our dogs, she also, he also, and she also have an enemy. It is the cat. That cute little furry thing that Megan drug into our house. She was a runt. She now outweighs them both. She's like a 30-pound cat. I mean, she's a monster. She doesn't ask the dogs. She... What did I say here? Yeah. Um, she doesn't ask the dog. She just takes what she wants. She's the boss of the house. She's the bully of the house. And uh, if they get in her way, she just shoves them aside. Like, that literally happened the other day. The cat's drinking water, and the dog's like, can you please, like, help me? Like, I'm thirsty. Can you please get that thing out of the way? I'm like, you're a dog. Act like one, right? How many times do we act like that in life? We let the enemy bully us around instead of just rising up and being the people that we are, right? 
If that dog gave a quick growl, that cat would run. She's a big scaredy cat, you know? She, she would flee. How often do we act like that in life? We're not unaware of the schemes of our enemy. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? That's his mission. And if he can cause us to doubt, then guess what he just did? He stole, killed, and destroyed your hope, which means you're never going to receive the promise, which means your destiny just got crumbled and crushed, right? If he can steal away your hope, if he can give you doubt, then he's already achieved his mission, Mission accomplished. He can go home, right? James chapter 1, verse 6 through 8 says this. When you ask God, you must believe. You must not doubt. Because the person who doubts is like a wave of the sea. They're just blown and tossed by the wind. And you see people like this in our culture, right? They'll believe everything they read on social media. They'll believe every YouTube video. They'll just believe anything that you tell them because of what they want to hear. They're like waves tossed by the wind. In verse 7, it says, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. So we cannot doubt, because the person who doubts shouldn't expect to receive a thing from God. We cannot doubt, because doubt is the thief of hope. Doubt is the thief of hope, and that's how our enemy operates, right? How is it that the enemy can cast, can cast doubt into our lives? How can he cause us to doubt God and his character and his word? All that he has to do is ask a question. This is how the enemy has always worked. Read your Bibles, right? In the garden, what did he say to Eve? Did God really say that? It's all he had to do. He had to ask one question and then just watch the self-destruct happen, right? That is the self-destruct button in your life. Doubt. And if it gets engaged, forget about it. It's all over. So guard and protect it. Don't allow doubt to seep into your life and to steal your hope, right? To Jesus, he asked three questions, right? And they were all like, well, if you really are the Son of God, if... How many times does the enemy destroy us with that one simple question? What if? Right? He tried to destroy Jesus with that question. Well, if you really are who you say you are, if you're really the son of God, then, then why don't you do this? And he quotes some scripture, right? That's how the enemy works. He steals, kills, and destroys by questioning. All he has to do is pose that question in your mind and you're done. You're, you've just destroyed yourself, right? God's word is truth. His promises are certain. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are a child of God. You are royalty. And you have every right to come boldly before the throne of grace and to walk confidently in this world because you are a child of the King of Kings. Right? We don't need to doubt God. We don't need to doubt his word. We just need to have hope and to allow that hope to fill our lives until the fulfillment happens. You know, it, it always amazed me how our dogs have just responded to our cat from that day one. You know, I think the day that she came home, Eva, our other dog, was lay, sitting on the chair, and that tiny little cat pounced up on the chair and pawed her butt, and she jumped down. I'm like, what is this? Like, she was the boss of the house from day one. We shouldn't allow the enemy to have that kind of foothold in our lives, but we do, don't we? We allow him to question us, Right? I mean, the, our dogs just bowed her wishes uh, at every whim. You know, they, they gave her a place of authority in their lives. 
And I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why they chose to do that. They are dogs, and they don't act like it. They just let her bully them around. How often do we do that? We give the enemy a place of authority in our lives instead of booting him out and evicting him, right? I don't care what the federal government says. You can evict the enemy out of your life. I'm giving you the the permission and authority to do that, okay? He's not a good tenant. You don't need to be a good landlord to thoughts of doubt and to the enemy. You just need to kick him out, right? No foothold, no stronghold. That strong man is getting bound and kicked out, right? We got to do that. We can't let doubt seep into our lives. We've got to have hope. We can't walk around like a victim in life being bullied around by the enemy, right? And giving him that authority. We need to rise up, tell the enemy to back off, right? Just like our dogs need to start being dogs and tell the cat to back off. Because if they would, she would listen. They would, they would get their authority back in their lives, right? You know, if nothing else, just just think about your future versus the enemy's. Remind him of his future. Hell is safe for him, right? Hell was created for him. Eternal torment and torture, right? Your future, well, it's free from all of that. First Peter chapter five verse eight verses. First uh, Peter chapter five verse eight through nine tells us this: to be alert and of sober mind, be on your guard for hope. Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Simply resist him and stand firm in the faith. That's your role in spiritual warfare here is just to stand firm. Maintain hope. Guard hope. Don't let the enemy devour you by causing you to doubt or to question God or his promises. Rise up in hope and let nothing steal it away. If God has promised it, It is yes and amen. It's going to happen. It may not happen right now, but it's going to happen. It's coming. Your breakthrough is coming. Your victory is coming. It's on its way, right? Whatever your circumstances, whatever life is thrown your way, hope again. Put your hope in him again, right? Rise up in hope. Um, Put him to the test. Put him to the test and you'll find this truth. You could be a living example of this truth, that no one who hopes in the Lord, in Him, will ever be put to shame. And I'm sorry, it's another little example of hope, that the cat sat there for hours, night after night, month after month, watching those fish in that aquarium, and never once did she get a taste of one. But we need to, we need to have that kind of hope. We need to have a hope that, first of all, offers our best to God, no matter our circumstances. We need to have a hope that patiently and eagerly keeps seeking after God, even when we're disappointed and let down. We keep eagerly seeking after Him. And we need to have the kind of hope that is guarded and protected that nothing can steal away. We need to have that enemy-proof hope that nothing can steal or destroy, right? So that's what I encourage you in this morning. If you've been disappointed, if you've been let down, if you feel like even God has let you down, you're not alone. I think every person walking the face of this earth has felt that way. Read through the Bible. Many of his people had felt that way. David, he was called a man after God's own heart. And we just read his Psalms. He felt that way. You're not alone. And it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to go to God and tell him that. God, you broke my heart. This is killing me. You know how much I need this. You know how desperate I am for this. And yet, Lord, you let me down. Go to him. Talk to him about it. 
And then ask him, Lord, I need your hope. I need you. Because I've got nothing else in this life. There's nothing else that I can depend on in this world. Jesus, I need you. I need your hope. And so let's just go to the Lord in prayer right now. So Jesus, you know what is in my heart and mind right now. You know that thing that keeps me up at night. You know that thing that has just broken me down so many times. You know that thing that I can't seem to get free from, Lord. And Lord, my hope, it's no longer in my abilities. It's no longer in, in, in my willingness, God. This morning, here and now, I admit the reality that I can't do this. Jesus, I put my hope in you alone. You alone are my deliverer. You alone are my healer. You alone are my savior. You alone are my provider. You're the only one, Jesus, that is going to be able to work this together for good the way that you promised to. Jesus, I've made a mess of things. Please forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord, for the person that I've become. Forgive me for the hardness of my heart. Forgive me for not hungering and thirsting and, and being excited to seek after you. But Lord, I'm asking you to fan that back into flame in my life. Give me that eager expectation. Help me to be like that dog wagging its tail with a smile on its face every day that we approach you, every time that we come before you, Lord. Help us to have that eagerness of expectation, Lord. Help us to have that kind of hope that nothing can shake and nothing can steal, Lord. Because our hope is in you. Our hope is in you alone, Jesus. So we just thank you in this moment for loving me enough to break through all the muck and mire, to pick me up out of it, and to set me on some solid rock. Jesus, we thank you. You're so good. You are so faithful, Lord. Our trust is in you alone, in your name. Amen.